Amen. Let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 2. God does deserve our best. We've been studying the book of Malachi and now we've reached chapter number 2. We've been looking at God's final word to his people. God's final word before 400 years of silence from God would take place. God having patiently dealt with his people through thick and thin, ups and downs, maybe even more downs than ups. God was there communicating through his prophets, through his preachers, through his, his leaders, through the judges, through some, even some of the kings. But now, because of the state of the nation of Israel, the state of the attitude towards God, they don't perhaps fully understand this reality, but it, the reality is true that this is God's final word. This is it. While the book opens with a declaration of God's love for his people, we quickly begin to see the strained relationship that exists there. We're going to read just the first nine verses of chapter number two tonight, and we'll take that as our study. We left off there with chapter one and verse 14 last time. So we pick up chapter two, verse one. The Bible says, And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. If ye will not hear, if ye will not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yeah, I, yea, I have cursed them already, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will corrupt your seed, spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feasts, and one shall take you away with it. And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and had turned many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. Father, would you help us tonight, help me tonight, you promise in your word that if we but ask that you will give your spirit to those of your children who would ask of you. And Lord, I need your spirit tonight, I need your help. We all as believers, need your help tonight to open our hearts, to allow ourselves to be searched and tried by perhaps even some difficult things that we find here in your word that you preserved for us tonight. I, I pray that you would help us to have listening ears, help us to have open hearts, and may we make direct application uh, from your word even tonight. And we ask and pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen. So from 
chapter number 1, verse 6, and we looked at um, that passage a couple of weeks ago. Um, from, from that point in the book of Malachi, from chapter 1, verse 6, all the way through chapter 2 and about verse 9, uh, verse 9 or 10, depending on how you look at it, is a very specific section in, with God, in which God is talking to and directly dealing with his priests. And we've looked at the dual responsibility of a priest in the Old Testament. They were to represent God to uh, represent uh, the people to God by offering sacrifices for sin. That's probably the, the, uh, the responsibility that we're most familiar with. The priest was to take sacrifices, to offer them in a way that God, has pre- that God had prescribed to represent the people to God. There was a second responsibility, and that was to represent God and who God was to the people. And they did this by the distinctness of their lifestyle, uh, by their knowledge and teaching of, of, the, of the truth of the law of God's word. They were supposed to know God's word. They were supposed to live God's word. They were supposed to teach God's word. In other words, they were to represent this is who God is to all of the people. And that was their dual responsibility. And you can read about this. Deuteronomy 33 verse 10, I think, summarizes it perfectly. It says, they shall teach, that's that second piece, Jacob thy judgments and Israel thy law. They shall put incense before thee and whole burnt sacrifice, there's the second piece, upon thine altar. So that was their dual responsibility. By the time we reach Malachi, by the time we're at this point in history, in the remnant of Israel, the priests were failing in both of these obligations. Both of these responsibilities. In fact, verse 8 sort of summarizes it. They have corrupted the covenant of Levi. When we think about a covenant, a covenant is a, is a special agreement of promise between two parties or two individuals. We think in a human realm of the covenant of, of marriage. It is a promise of a special relationship between a man and a, and a woman. And that, that covenant, that promise, is something that's very significant. It has weight to it. It's very special. And it's a, it's a special relationship that doesn't exist outside of the bonds of that covenant. Well, God had a covenant with His priests, the tribe of Levi, or the Levites, as they're, they're called in, in our Bibles. God had a special promise relationship with them. And unfortunately, the Levites, His priests, had corrupted that covenant. Something that was beautiful think about a marriage, something that is wonderful, it's marvelous, but now it's been tainted, it's been corrupted. And because of this, the fact that the the Levites held a special position, they had special privileges, along with that came special responsibility. And God is dealing with very explicitly and very directly with his priests. Uh, this section from chapter 1, verse 6 to chapter 2, verse 9, it's very direct. It's very, when we read it, you know, you could swallow hard. Oh, boy. But see, these Levites, these priests, had very, they had a very special relationship with God. And because of that, to whom much is given, much is required. And they had a special responsibility. And they were failing in that Very special responsibility. And while this passage that we read directly applies 
in this covenant relationship between the Levites and, and God, it directly applies to them. There is also an application, as we pointed out all along the way, an application and a parallel to us as New Testament believers, as Christians. The New Testament calls us priests. We are a holy priesthood, as, as Peter points out. And we have the same sort of obligation, the same obligation as the Old Testament priests had. We have a responsibility toward God. We are to offer up to God spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable unto Him. And then we have a responsibility to those that are around us. We have a responsibility to represent God, to show the world who God is, and to teach His Word to the world that is around us. Because how shall they hear without a preacher? And we are to be the priests, the preachers, the teachers of of God's law. And as believers, we have that special covenant relationship with God. If you're saved, if you're born again, you're a child of God, you have been accepted in the beloved, you've been adopted by God, you're, you're a joint heir with Jesus Christ, you have a special relationship with God, but with that special relationship comes a very significant responsibility. Amen. To whom much is given, and we have received the promises of eternal life and the wonders of this relationship with God. Those are some special privileges. We've been given much, which means much is required of us. And so as we read and as we look at this passage, we can look at ourselves in the place of the priests. And as difficult as that might be, because God is very direct in dealing with his people, it probably is helpful. We learn more going to the house of mourning than to the house of joy sometimes, right? That's what the Bible says. And so sometimes we need a little bit of a wake-up call. And this passage is a little bit of a wake-up call. So here in Malachi, we've seen in chapter 1, in our last few messages, the first obligation in in that first chapter. The first obligation was to offer sacrifices as God had prescribed. And of course, we saw that the priests were offering contaminated and corrupted sacrifices. They were condoning, if not even participating themselves, in offering Things that were in, in, in animals that were blind, animals that were lame, animals that were sick. And we saw how they were participating in ignorant worship and half-hearted worship and self-serving worship. They were part and parcel with it all. And they did all of this because they had become very bored with God. They had become ungrateful for His provision for them. And it, they kind of had this, this attitude that they didn't care all of that much. In fact, their attitude about God was very apparent by what they chose to sacrifice. And we saw how our attitude about God is demonstrated, it's manifested by what we choose to give to God, what we choose to sacrifice to God. Now in chapter 2, the focus seems to shift away from that now to the second obligation. You remember the second obligation? The first was to offer sacrifices that are pleasing to God. The second obligation was to represent God to his people. By their life and by their lips, the priests were to glorify God by showing his holy law and teaching his holy law to the people. Instead, they would corrupt that covenant with God. And we, we see three different aspects in this passage. Let's dig in verse number one. We see a commandment to heed. It says, and now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. And that word commandment is there, is found in verse one, is also found in verse four. A commandment is a law. A commandment is a precept. 
This is what you priests are supposed to do. And in case there was any doubt, this commandment is for you. And I wonder, perhaps the, the priest could look back at what, is, what has been uh, spoken in chapter 1 and say, you know what, that's not completely our fault. I mean, we, yes, we've offered those sacrifices, but really it was, for the most part, it was the people who were bringing us those sacrifices. And, and so we were just doing what the people wanted us to do. And so really, it was, it's, it's kind, of, kind of their fault. And maybe they could hide behind that. I'm not sure, but maybe that could be an excuse. But now God is placing the crosshairs and the blame squarely on the priest and saying, no, 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 guys, this is for you. And perhaps really what's in chapter 2 is the heart of the matter. It's really where everything begins. This commandment is for you. And he spells out their responsibility. What what is the commandment? What were the priests responsible for? Well, in verse 2, it clearly lays it out. If you will not hear and if you will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name. The commandment for the priests was your job, your duty is to give glory to my name. If you could summarize what a priest was all about, what he was supposed to do, he was supposed to give glory to the name of God. The idea of glory is honor. It's reverence. It literally means a weight or a a heaviness or a significance. So when we give glory to God... When the priest was to give glory to God, he was to demonstrate that God had great weight, that God had great importance and significance. And when we glorify God, that's what we're communicating to the world, that the things of God, God's perspective, God's commands have great significance. They have great weight to them. And so the overall purpose of the office of the priest was to glorify God. And God was very specific in the Old Testament and even here in our text in laying out how that was to be done. There were specific duties that a priest was to perform, all without losing sight of the ultimate goal, which was to glorify God. And in doing so, they would demonstrate the weight and the importance of God to others. And of course, I'm sure as a New Testament believer, your mind is jumping forward to that same responsibility that we have as believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20. We are bought with a price, therefore glorify God. And that's imperative. That's a command. In our lives, in our body, in our spirit, which belong to God, we are to glorify God. Everything that's about us is to show the significance, the weight, the importance of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. See, we have the same responsibility uh, as the Old Testament priests. We, as New Testament priests, we have that same responsibility to give glory to God. And so in essence, we can sit tonight in the, in the priest's place We can hear that command. Okay, it is our responsibility, it is our obligation to give glory to God. Our lives should demonstrate the importance of God to others. But in this responsibility, in fulfilling this command, God also points out an attitude that they were supposed to have. What is this attitude? Well, there's a phrase that's repeated in this uh, section, starting in verse number 2. It says, if you will not hear... 
And if you will not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts. And then you skip down to, I believe it is verse 4, where it talks about the fact that they, I'm sorry, it is verse, at the end of verse 2. It says, Yea, I have cursed them already because you do not lay it to heart. The attitude by which they were to fulfill their obligation of giving glory to God. They were to take that command and they were to lay it to their hearts. And that's an interesting phrase. The word lay just simply means to apply it. It was more than just textbook. It was more than just words. It was more than just duty. God says, I want you to glorify God and I want glorifying me, I want that to be important to your heart, to the innermost part of your being. I want you to care, perhaps is what God is saying here. Lay it to heart. Lay the glory of God to your own heart. Apply it to your own heart. Because glorifying God is primarily an issue of the heart. It's not just an issue of outside and outward behavior. In some senses, although there was some corruption of this, you could look at what the priests were doing on the outside and they were fulfilling all of the functions. They were doing all of the outward behavior, but there was something wrong in the heart. In our daily lives, when it comes to glorifying God, is it something that we give care and concern to? In our day-to-day, tomorrow's Monday, you know, back to work Monday, in the midst of our day, is there a care and concern on our heart? You know what? I need to be glorifying God today. And dealing with this situation at work, this project at work, and dealing with the children at home, and dealing with whatever it is we're doing, is glorifying God something that has been laid to our hearts? Do we care? Are we concerned about how our lives reflect upon our God? And that's what it means to glorify God. And that's what it means to lay it to heart. This was the attitude that God wanted from His priests. I, I want you to glorify me and I want you to lay it to your heart. I, I want it to mean something to you. And as believers, it ought to mean something to us to live our lives for Him and for His glory. That was the attitude. Unfortunately, God has to lay out the consequences because that responsibility was not, being, uh, was not being completed, not being done. The attitude was the farthest thing from their hearts. There were some consequences. And these consequences are rather stark. They're rather in your face. But I remind you that God is dealing so abruptly with His priests because they had special privileges. They had been given much, and God is requiring much of them. You notice some of these consequences in verse 2. He says, If you will not lay it to heart to give glory into my name, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because you do not lay it to heart. The first consequence, if you do not Bring glory to my name. If you don't lay that to your hearts, I'm going to curse your blessings. That's an interesting phrase. What does that mean to, that your blessings be cursed? 
Well, if you go back, and we're not going to do so for sake of time, but if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28, there, there is a, a very significant event in which uh, God announces blessings and cursings upon His people. Basically, He's laying out, if you, if you follow Me, if you, if, you, if you give heed to My commandments, if you walk in My law, here's all of the blessings. If you don't, here's all the cursings. What's very interesting about that is that in, in many of those curses, they were actually the Levites who were given that, and they were the ones to announce the curses to the people. They were the ones to say, this is what God said. They were representing God to the people. And he lays out all these blessings and all these cursings in, in chapter 27 and 28, and basically said, if, if, you, if you don't follow my law, if you don't, uh, if you don't, if you don't walk in my ways then your prosperity is going to be turned to to poverty and to great need. Your health will be turned to sickness and disease. Your fruitful harvest would turn to drought and to famine. Your fertility would turn to childlessness and barren wombs. Your peace would turn to conflict and war. Your life in abundance would turn to death and destruction. In other words, all the things that God said He would bless have now been cursed and are going the complete opposite way. And if you, if you stop and think about this, it's very significant because is it any surprise that when we don't acknowledge or glorify God for what He has given to us, is it any surprise that He would remove that which is given to us? I mean, it's not ours in the first place. It's a blessing from God. We've received it from Him. And when we choose to walk away, when we choose to say, you know what? I earned this. This was mine. Uh, I deserve it. Is it any surprise that, that God would take that which he has given to us? That's the whole, I mean, I think blessing and cursing sound like such a significant sort of word, but that's all that's taking place here. If you follow me, I will give you. If you don't follow me, I will take that which was mine that I wanted to give to you. So he says, if you don't glorify me, if you don't lay it to heart, I'm going to curse your blessings, and actually he says that curse has already begun. Some of which, what they were facing, some of what they were complaining about back in chapter 1, oh, God loved us. We're not in a position that we think we deserve. Some of that was because of the consequence of their own behavior that had already begun. Then in verse 3, there's some more consequences. We see a corrupt seed. And by corrupted seeds, the word seed specifically refers to the next generation, their children, their grandchildren, those that would come after them. The actions and the attitudes of the priests would bring further judgment and reproof, which is the same word as corruption. It kind of means the same thing. So in other words, the next generation is going to act upon the attitudes that they see in their parents. And because they're acting on those attitudes, it's going to bring the judgment of God. Their seed was going to be reproved. It was going to be corrupted. Let me say this because it is very much, very much true. It might be possible to hide your true motives. No one else might, not, uh, no one else might be able to see if giving God glory is truly your priority. But your children can see whether it is. And they will see it. You can live a, an outwardly religious life. You can live a, a pious life in the, in the external things. 
and it not truly be real to you. It can just be all the motions. And we at church, you know, all the people at church, we think, oh, brother so-and-so, oh, such a good guy and loves the Lord and all of that. We can't see your heart, but often it's the children who can because they know you the best. They see you all the time. They have a measure of perception and discernment that you have taught them, and they can see right through it. And so guess what? They act upon the attitudes of your heart, and in acting out the attitudes of your heart, they bring God's reproof upon themselves, a corrupted seed. And we need to be very careful in that. But it's not any surprise that the, the, the next generation of these priests are going to act in a way that, that their parents have demonstrated to them. And so they're going to be corrupted or reproved. Then he says in verse 3, and this gets rather explicit, gets rather detailed. But again, God's dealing with people with special responsibility. And there's a special consequence. He says, I'll corrupt your seed and spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feasts. And one shall take you away with it. The consequences of a confounded face. I mean, this is extremely graphic and repulsive. The description that God is giving through his messenger Malachi. The dung of their solemn feasts was the the byproduct of the animals that were there to be sacrificed. And of course, as it is today, it is the height of uncleanness. It is the the height of grossness, if I could use that that's even a word. But you get the idea. And what the priests were to do with that sacrifice was to take all of that corruption and they were to put it away as far as possible, get it out of the camp. And and there's even, you know, specific instructions of how they were supposed to do that. Get it out of the camp, bury it, put it as far away from you as possible. And God says, you know, those corrupt sacrifices, remember chapter 1, what they were offering? The disease, the lame, the blind, something that no, no, no governor would ever receive. But they were giving it to God. And God says, I want, what I'm going to do, because you refuse to give me glory, because you refuse to care about your responsibility before me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to smear your faces in it. I'm going to rub your nose in it. And I'm going to use the the dung of the diseased and corrupted animals to do it. And then because you are unclean, and now the whole world can see that you are unclean. Perhaps maybe what God is saying is God's going to expose the corruption of their heart. God's going to take the, 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 the disgustingness, the uncleanness of their heart and display it all over their face. So there's no denying what's true on the inside. And God's going to do with you as the unclean, what your responsibility, what you would do with the dung of these animals. He's going to carry you away. And that's what it says there at the end of the verse. One shall take you away with it. They would be carted off and disposed of, gotten rid of. They had tarnished and smeared God's name, and now the same would be done to them. It is an ugly and a distasteful picture But I remind you that it it comes from verse number 2. The first word of verse number 2 is if. If ye will not hear. 
There's an opportunity for repentance. There's an opportunity to turn from the path that they're on. There's an opportunity to change. There's an opportunity that this threat does not need to be reality. Unfortunately, it was. And in verse 4, God points out that these consequences would be so strong that there would be no doubt that they had a covenant, that they had a promise, that they had a relationship with God. And that's why God dealt with them so harshly. There would be no doubt. The Levites had the special promise relationship, not with just anyone, but as verse 4 points out, with the Lord of hosts, with the omnipotent God of the universe. And because of what would happen to them if they chose to continue on that path, there would be no shadow of a doubt that they had messed with the wrong person. That it was God himself who dealt with them, and dealt with them rather starkly. So this was the commandment to heed. Glorify God, take it to heart. But in verse 5, there's a, there's a change in the demeanor of what's written. And God takes his priests, I think very tenderly and lovingly, on a trip down memory lane, re- revisiting their history, revisiting the past. And he gives them a covenant to remember. The covenant of Levi. That special promised relationship between God and the descendants of Levi. You can read all about this in Numbers chapter 18. We won't take the time to do it. Some of the details are written right here in verse 5. It says, My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared my name and was afraid before my name. Now, he uses the, the, the name Levi, and I don't believe he's just referring to the man Levi. I think he's referring to uh, the descendants of Levi, the, the tribe of Levi, and, and, and uh, um, kind of referring to them as a whole. And he talks about the covenant, the, the promise that they had between the Levites and God. God made them a promise, and they made him a promise. God's promise was the exchange of life and peace for the fear of God. God promised them life or a livelihood. And and if you read the Old Testament, you read about, and we've referenced this in our series in Malachi, you read about the fact that the the priests were to be cared for, they were uh, to be supported by the offerings of the people. They could partake of those things, and that's how they were to be supported. They weren't uh, allowed to own land necessarily or large areas of land. They were given uh, cities and suburbs of cities because of that special relationship. So God says, I'm, I'm going to care for your needs. I'm going to make sure that, that everything is taken care of in your life. I'm going to give you life, a livelihood, and I'm going to give you peace in exchange for a life that's devoted to the fear of God. Amen. And that's what he says in, in verse number 5. I gave them, I gave the life and the peace to them for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. And indeed, the Levites had a rich history of fearing God. We could go back to the book of Exodus, chapter 33. You remember the golden calf? When the people were worshiping that golden calf, it was the Levites who responded to Moses. Remember Moses said, who is on the Lord's side? And all the Levites came to Moses. And that day they girded their swords on and they killed 3,000 idolaters in their midst who refused to repent. It was the Levites who took a stand because they feared God. In Numbers chapter 25, we find another Levite, a grandson of Aaron named Phinehas. And he stopped the plague that came from God 
because he killed a man by the name of Zimri and his Midianite mistress, because they had brought into the camp idolatry and fornication, and God was judging them for that. And it's interesting because this man was a a prince of the tribe of Simeon. This wasn't just any old man. This was an important man. And Phinehas said, enough is enough. I'm taking a stand for the fear of God. And this idolatry, this fornication is going to end. And guess what? It did. And God commended him for that. We read about that in Numbers 25. Uh, You can see it on the screen there. It says, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore say, Behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace, and he shall have it and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Had a rich history of fearing God. Even in 2 Chronicles 11, you remember when uh, King Jeroboam took the northern kingdom and split the, the kingdom of Israel in half and he set up the golden calves? It was the Levites who at that time lived all throughout the nation of Israel. It was the Levites who identified this is wrong, this isn't right, and they left their homes, they, they, they left their livelihoods, they left where they were, where they had grown up, where they had lived probably all of their lives, and they moved down to Judah all so that they could do that which was right. They feared God. It was the fear of God that drove the Levites to take these stands for God. And so there was this beautiful relationship. God gave a livelihood, God gave life and peace, and the Levites served God out of a heart of fear and respect for who God is. And that it continues on. That was the exchange of the covenant. We also see a model of the covenant in verse 6. It continues on. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and did turn many away from iniquity. What a model we find of the Levites. There was a model of words. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his mouth. A model of words. There's also a model of walk. It says he walked with God in peace. The idea of walking with God in peace is tranquility. It's contentment in that covenant relationship with God. There was contentment. There was peace. And they walked with God in equity. The word equity means they they lived and they walked in a way that was just. In a way that was upright. That was how they lived their lives. And there was also a model not only of words... And of a walk, but also of a witness. It says they, they uh, um, verse 6, at the end of verse 6, they did turn many away from iniquity. They preached the truth of God's word. They said, this is what God says. And we see this beautiful, peaceful picture of the covenant relationship between God and his priests and the Levites. And all of this was for a purpose. The purpose is in verse number 7. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they, sh- that, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. The priests were to be teachers. Their lips were to keep knowledge. In Leviticus chapter 10, verses 10 and 11, it talks about how the, the priest's responsibility was to put difference between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean, and that they may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord hath spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. Their responsibility was to know knowledge, to know what God says, 
to clearly demonstrate this is holy, this is not, this is clean, this is not. And they are to teach, they were to teach the statutes of God. They were to be teachers. And as a result of being teachers, the people were to seek after them. And it says that in verse uh, 7, the middle, they should seek the law at his mouth. The people were to seek after them for uh, sentences of, of what, should, what, what is right in this situation. In other words, they were to kind of teach God's law in the, the sense of, of being a judge. And you can see that, I think I included here, Deuteronomy 17 and verse, verse 9, it says, And thou shalt come unto the priests, the Levites, and unto thy judge, or unto the judge that shall be in those days, and inquire, and they shall show thee the sentence of judgment. It was the priests that were to do that. They were to teach. They were to be God's messengers. And God told them, whatever they say, whatever sentence of judgment there is, that stands. That goes. This is what the purpose, this is what the covenant was all about. To have people who would teach the truth, who would demonstrate who God is to the people that were around them. And the Levites truly enjoyed this special position and this special purpose. They were the beneficiaries of a rich heritage of Levites that had lived long before and had feared God and had loved God and had served God. I mean, it was so special that God, there's no other tribe in the nation of Israel that has an entire book of the law named after them, right? The book of Leviticus. It was for them. They had a special relationship with God. Unfortunately, verse 8 begins with the word but. And this is the corruption that is to be feared. What a wonderful potential that's there. This is what the purpose was, but. This is how they responded to that. I had to share this with you. John Phillips wrote this in his commentary. He said, the priests of Malachi's day were lineal heirs of the Levites, but their ministry had degenerated into a well-paying job with fringe benefits and social security. Pretty good description of what had happened. In verse 8, we see what they did. It says, but ye are departed out of the way. There's a departure here. And there's a departure out of the way. What, What is this way? Well, I believe it's the way that he just laid out. The responsibility, the obligation of these priests to be God's teacher, to be God's messenger. And they departed out of that path. They, they shirked their responsibility. They said, you know, it's just, it's too hard. Let, let's find an easier way. And it, it is much easier just to tell people what to do rather than to patiently teach the scriptures. Pay attention, parents. It's, it's very easy to tell your kids, this is just what we do. We don't do that. We do do this. And it's just because I say so. It's a lot easier to say, this is what we do. This is our family way than it is to go to the Scriptures and say, this is what the Bible say, says. It's a whole lot easier just to say, well, this is the way we do things. I know they do things there at the church that way. I don't know, but this is just how we do things. Well, it takes a whole lot more effort to go to the Scriptures and say, I wonder why, why they do things that way at, at the church. I wonder why they talk about those things. Have I ever considered those things? Could I, could I adequately with the scriptures explain my position compared to another position? 
Because it's easier just to say, hey, just do this. This is just what we do. The priests had departed out of the way. They said, it's too difficult. It's too hard. We'll, find, we'll just tell the people what to do. And that, what, that is what things degenerated into. And as a result, they caused many to stumble. Instead of establishing God's law, establishing the people in God's law, they caused the people to stumble at God's law. Due to their own desires, their own preferences, they confused the people. The people didn't know, are you just saying this or is God saying this? And there was no way to tell the difference. And of course, this would lead to, a couple hundred years later, they crucified Jesus all under the guise of following the law. They got rid of their own Messiah under the guise of this is what God wants. I mean, that's messed up. How did they get there? Well, they departed out of the way. Instead of going to the scriptures for what was right and what was wrong, they began to build traditions and, and uh, the sayings of man and what the, what the rabbis said. And they had all of this stuff layered on top of what God said. And it became a confusing mess. And they caused many people to stumble. Verse 9 mentions the fact that they were partial in judgment. It's very interesting. The word partial means to lift up your face against someone. In other words, they refused to enforce God's law on someone's behalf when it did not directly benefit them. When there's a situation in which God's law should have been applied, if there was no kickback, if there was no benefit for them, they turned their faces and just ignored it. Pretend it wasn't there. If applying God's law was too difficult, they would just skip it. I know about you, but that phrase is, uh, is convicting. It's applying God's word. If it's too difficult, do we often find ourselves with the tendency to just ignore it? Oh, that's just too hard. I can't do that. They were partial in judgment. And as a result, in verse number 8, ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi. You took something that was beautiful, that was wonderful, and you destroyed it. And as Numbers 18.32, this is part of the covenant, to the priests, where God told them, neither shall ye pollute the holy things of the children of Israel, lest ye die. They had corrupted the covenant with God. And so what did God do? Well, he says it in verse 8 and verse 9. He says, I have made you, I have, I, have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as ye have not kept my ways. God made them contemptible. He made them vile. He made them worthless. He made them base, which is the idea of being low and humiliated. This was the exact opposite of the covenant. The covenant was, I'm going to establish you. I'm going to put you in this position of authority. Uh, I'm going to put you in this position of closeness with God, of, 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 of teaching and preaching the truth of God's word to the people. And now, because of their actions... Now God had made them low. And in the eyes of the people, they were vile. And they were worthless. And is it any surprise when Jesus came on the scene, they heard him teach, and they said, hey, this guy, he sounds different. There's something about what he, what he says. Amen. Yeah, because what he was saying is, was not corrupted. Everybody knew, the people knew, that, that the, the priests and the Pharisees didn't have it in for them. They knew that they had it in for themselves. 
It was all about pleasing themselves. So they were contemptible. They were vile and worthless. God had given them a position of prominence and respect. They had chosen not to glorify God, not to make God big, not to make God significant, and there were consequences as a result. They were chosen to bear God's name in the middle of a nation whose purpose was to bear God's name. I mean, you see the the elevated position. But all of that promise and all of that blessing was forfeited because they refused to fulfill God's purpose of representing God with pure sacrifices or representing the people to God with pure sacrifices and refusing to represent the purity and the holiness of God to the people, both obligations. And so tonight, as New Testament priests, just like the Old Testament priests, it is our command, it's our obligation to give glory to God. That's our command. Christian, that is your duty. God has called you to that. And we bring glory to God by the lives that we live. What message is your life giving? As a believer, you and I, we enjoy a special relationship with God. We're the children of God. We've been adopted. We're joint heirs with Christ. But with that special relationship, with that special privilege, comes special responsibility. Tonight, are you laying to heart your responsibility to give glory to God? Can you truly say in the day-to-day moments of life, I'm living for Him. I am representing, I am showing the world who God is by the life that I live. I am teaching God's Word and God's law, not only with my lips, but then also with my life. I'm bringing glory to God. We have, a, we have a beautiful covenant like the priest did. But we can easily corrupt that when we choose to live for ourselves. When we choose to put our agenda in front of God's agenda. When we choose to glorify ourselves, our opinions, what we think about life. We exalt that above what God says in His Word. Let's not be lazy and just say, well, this is what I think. This is the way I think life should be lived. But are we basing that in what God says? What God's word is? Is he the authority? We need to be glorifying God. We need to lay it to heart. Put him first in our lives. So we can avoid corrupting a beautiful covenant like the priests of Israel did.